Hello and welcome to the Rocky Peak Young Adults Podcast. We meet Sunday nights at 7.30 at the church at Rocky Peak. For info on upcoming events, find us on Instagram at rpyoungadults. Enjoy the message. What's up, RPYA? How we doing? Oh man, it is so good to be here. I've been thinking about this for a very long time. It, I really am very excited for tonight. I'm excited to bring God's word to you tonight. Um, I'm very nervous. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I'm terrified. Uh, I feel better now, actually, that I'm in front, in front of the lights for some reason, so that doesn't make any sense. Uh, but I was feeling nervous beforehand, and I saw Avery Wiseman uh, outside, and she said something to me that was just really uh, meaningful. She said, it's, it's God's word. It's God's words tonight that, that you're preaching. It's, it's not your words, it's God's words. So you don't have to be nervous because you just have to stand here and he's going to speak through you. And that was a lot of peace for me. And the reason that I'm telling you guys that is because I want you to know this is not my wisdom. This is not my insight. This, this isn't me. This is all God. And so I just want you to remember that tonight as I'm teaching that this, this, is, this is a message from you straight from your father. He, he has this message of love for you tonight. He's excited for you to hear it. I'm excited to be the one bringing it to you. Uh, it's going to be amazing. If you don't know me, my name uh, is Joey James. Um, I, thank you. Thank you. Hi, Jeremy. Uh, I, was born, I was born into a church called Faith Evangelical Church, and a month after I was born, it was renamed the Church at Rocky Peak. Uh, so I've been here for a minute. I am old school. Um, I want to show you guys a picture uh, on the screens. This is my baby dedication. That's me, front and center right there. Those are my parents. The crazy thing about this picture, it was taken in this room. Crazy, right? That's what this room, this room used to have wallpaper and, and burgundy, gross burgundy carpet. The other fun thing about this picture, uh, the, the, the couple to, to the left of my parents, uh, Brianna McDonald, where are you? That's Brianna McDonald as a baby. True story. True story. Yeah, so that was taken in this room. So yeah, I've been here for a minute. Uh, I actually joined staff here at Rocky Peak about three years ago uh, under the leadership of Brian Glassford, who you guys got to hear from last week. Wasn't he amazing? Did you guys enjoy hearing from Brian last week? I have been so blessed by Brian to have him in my life. He just brings me so much wisdom every day. He's like a father to me. Um, and one thing I was thinking about, you know, it's been really a wonderful thing having him in my life. And I just wanted to uh, take this opportunity to encourage you guys on the importance of having uh, someone older than you uh, in your life, someone who's gone before you, someone uh, older and wiser than you are, guiding you, leading you uh, in the steps where they have been. So that's, that's who Brian is for me. Uh, I hope he got to be that for you a little bit last week. Uh, but I've, I've been very blessed to have Brian. And of course, Kelly, I've been doing ministry with Kelly for three years now, since summer of 2016. Um, I, I'm so thankful to be under your leadership, Kelly. Um, he's really passionate about connecting people with community. People need to be in community. It's one of the most important things. Uh, one, of our, one of our values here at RPYA is that people would uh, find community. And so he's passionate about that. He's brought hundreds of people uh, over the years to this community, and I know they've uh, felt uh, that this is a place that they've been uh, accepted uh, and loved and welcomed no matter who they are. Uh, so on that note, we're going to go into a time of teaching right now from God's Word. If this is your first time, we believe that uh, God's Word is His Word. It's His Word to us. This is, it's His uh, love letter to us, um, that He has something for us. That's why we get excited about it. That's why we get excited about worshiping, about, about learning from His Word. And so we're going to go into a time of teaching right now. Um, I'm really excited about the story that we have today because I think uh, it just holds some really relevant truths uh, for us in 2019, even though it was written thousands and thousands of years ago. That's the cool thing about the Bible. It holds very relevant truths for our lives today, uh, even though it was written a very long time ago. So uh, I'm going to pray, uh, and we're going to get started. Father God, I thank you uh, just for this gift, this opportunity uh, to speak to your children tonight, God, uh, from your word. Uh, I, I do pray that these would be your words and not my words, um, and that people would be blessed, uh, that hearts would be open to what you have for them. 
uh, tonight, God. I pray all this in your name. Amen. So our story starts today in Ensenada, Mexico. Now, um, about a year ago, uh, I went to Ensenada on a mission trip with, uh, with the church at Rocky Peak. We do these uh, about twice a year. Uh, and so I went uh, with, with Priscilla, who's, who's producing uh, tonight, uh, and Logan and a bunch of other people. We were kind of the media team on the trip. Uh, and so it was a really crazy trip. Uh, the, the very first day that we were there, um, Priscilla, you know, we were, we were filming and stuff, and, and Priscilla is, is very adventurous and wants to get really cool shots, right? Uh, and so we were doing house builds. We were building houses for people who didn't have homes in Ensenada. And so uh, the very first day, uh, Priscilla wanted to get this cool shot uh, that for some reason required being on top of a roof. Uh, and so she, she climbed up on this ladder, and she uh, stepped on drywall uh, and quickly learned that you should not step on drywall because she went straight through the roof, uh, hit her head real hard, uh, and was laying there not moving for a couple minutes. And it was scary, let me tell you. Uh, I, I wasn't, there was, there was blood. I was not sure if she was okay. Um, honestly, I, there was a lot of things running through my mind of, like, what could be happening, like, is, is Priscilla, um, I hate to say it, like, even alive. I mean, in all seriousness, that's how scared I was about this. Uh, she was fine, obviously. We took her to the Ensenada uh, emergency room. Uh, they gave her, like, 12 stitches for, like, what, $13 or something? <laughs> it was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so really great care taken uh, there. Uh, and then later, uh, she stepped on a bee uh, and got a bee sting on her foot. Uh, so that, that happened. And then on our way back, uh, it's about a six-hour uh, journey from, from Ensenada uh, to here at Rocky Peak. Uh, and so we left at like, like 4 a.m., I think it was. We left really early in the morning. Uh, and about halfway through the trip, uh, I was driving in my uh, uh, blue Hyundai, I think it was. And uh, we, we, we pulled off about halfway through uh, to get McDonald's. Uh, and we pulled into the McDonald's parking lot, and uh, Logan, who was in the front seat, Priscilla and another girl named Candace were sleeping in the back, uh, and Logan goes, uh, hey, your, your hood is smoking. And I said, I don't think that's true. <laughs> now look, here's the thing, RPYA, I was not a responsible high school student. This was not the first time I had a car whose hood was smoking. I, I didn't know you had to put oil in your car, apparently. Oh, what a, who knew? And so I uh, hadn't done that. This is a while ago. This is a while ago. And, and I, I lost an engine, and so I'm, I'm used to having my car smoking. So I said, well, we should, we should probably check it out. So I popped the hood, and, uh, and uh, he got out, and he looked under the hood, and he said, yeah, there's flames under there. And I said, I don't think that's true. And he said, no, 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 there are. Uh, and I looked, and he, he, he wasn't lying. There was flames under there. And so uh, I said, well, what do we do? Uh, and he said, well, we need to unload the car. We had $20,000 of the church's video gear in the back seat. And so we, we just started, un, like, we were in front of McDonald's, put on a great show for the patrons of McDonald's that day. There was a big window. They could see the entire thing. And so we're unloading the car, and the, the flames are getting uh, bigger and bigger. Uh, and it took us, like, five minutes. Uh, I called 911. I actually, I told Siri to call 911. I didn't think it through. Uh, if you, I, I don't know if you know this. If you tell Siri to call 911, she goes, okay, calling 911 in 10 seconds. And I'm like, no, call them now. And so there's a little button you can press, just in case you ever have to, to tell Siri to call 911. Anyway, so the car, the, my car's, you know, going up in flames. As, you know, I'm watching this happen. Uh, and we, we get everything over to the, in front of the McDonald's, and... Um, we took this picture uh, right as we, there it is. That's my car in the background smoking. I thank you for laughing. Uh, I was not. <laughs> uh, the, the emotion that I had as I was watching my car go up in flames was this, this strange cocktail of like wanting to laugh and wanting to cry all at the same time. 
I don't know if you've ever felt that before. It was like this, this I li- literally wanted to like hysterically start laughing, but I also wanted to cry. So it was this really interesting, you know, mix of emotions. Uh, and so we were all, I meant to give you this picture. Uh, I was sitting, uh, I got coffee from McDonald's because why not? <laughs> no, nowhere to be. And so I was sitting, I was literally sitting outside of McDonald's, like crisscross applesauce on the ground with the coffee. Someone walked by and gave me $20 <laughs> just to, just to, to be nice. It was really, it was thoughtful. Um, so uh, there was another car, but you can take the picture on the this, this screen. Uh, there was another car behind us that had uh, four seats, thankfully. And so um, we, we got a ride back with them. And, and on the way back, uh, this was on a Sunday, uh, Haley Graves called me and said, hey, can you do announcements tonight at RPYA? And I said, why not? So then I did announcements that night at RPYA. Getting home after that, I, I had my suitcase. I felt like I had been at war. It was just the craziest day I've ever experienced, and it, and it was a long day, and it was an exhausting day, and it was one of those days that it really felt like nothing had, had gone right, uh, and I, I tell you the story because uh, first I want to ask if any of you have, have had a day uh, where you felt like nothing has gone right. You haven't been able to, uh, d- nothing's going your way. It's, it's all going wrong uh, because in today's story, uh, we're going to hear about a man uh, whose entire life turned around uh, in one day. In one day, his, his world was turned upside down, so um, my passage tonight is the entire book of Job. Um, which I realize is a little ambitious. Uh, you can go ahead and open your Bibles uh, to Job 1.1. I thought we could just popcorn read the entire thing. So, um, so uh, Nick, if you could just stand up, start in you know, chapter 1, verse 1, and then just popcorn to 42 chapters uh, Job is. No, we're not going to do that. Um, I do want you to open to Job 1.1, though, because that is where our story starts. Uh, the book of Job is one of the most interesting books of the Bible for a couple reasons. Uh, number one, uh, it's, it doesn't follow the story of, of any Israelites. M- almost every book in the Old Testament is following the story of, of the Israelites, God's chosen people. Okay, Job isn't doing that. Um, it also takes place in a land called Uz. Um, this, this land is not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. Uh, it was a very obscure place in biblical times. It wasn't like referring to a major city like New York, uh, New York or LA. It was more like referring to like an obscure city. I mean, let me just like make up an obscure city, Simi Valley or something like that. So, and we, the other interesting thing about this book, we actually aren't given, we don't really know when it took place. Some people think this is actually the oldest book in the Bible. Some people think this is pre-flood. This is a really, really old book. And so, I think the reason the author gave us so few details about this story is he didn't want us to be distracted by historical questions. He wanted us to focus uh, on the truths that he was presenting in the story. So in the first couple verses of the book, we learn who Job was. It says uh, in in chapter 1, verse 1, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. Uh, This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons, three daughters, uh, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So here's what you need to know about Job. Number one, he was blameless and upright. If the Bible says someone was blameless and upright, you better believe they were. This was a man who loved God, he honored God, he lived his life for God. The other thing to know about Job is that he was rolling in it. He was set for life. His entire closet was Gucci. Uh, He did not need to camp out in front of Chick-fil-A for 100 free sandwiches, I'll tell you that. He was set. He was good. And we're about to hear a story from his life, and I think it's a story that we can all learn from because it, it wrestles with some really important truths about, about who God is and, and what his, his purpose is for our lives. So the story begins uh, in Job 1, verse 6. It says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? 
Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. That should scare you to death, people. That's crazy. Well, okay, I take it back. It shouldn't scare you to death because if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you don't need to be afraid of anything. But you should be aware. Satan does not stop doing that, by the way. He, he, the Bible says that he roams the earth looking for people that he can steal from, that he can destroy, that he can kill. That is his goal. I don't say that to uh, scare you. I say that to make you aware. Verse 8 says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. God's like, have you seen this Job kid? He's, he's doing all right. He's, 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 he's pretty good by me. The lesson here is that God wants to show you off to people. God wants to be proud of you. And God was proud of Job. Job was a man that someone believed in. It was, he was a man that, someone, uh, that, that, that God knew that he could count on. Uh, this is super important because it proves without a doubt that Job was a blameless and righteous man. It's going to come up later, but this is God talking now. God is saying, this man, Job, he's blameless, he's upright, he has my seal of approval. Verse 9 says, does Job, this is Satan talking, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? Have you blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land? But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan is basically saying, yeah, of course Job loves you. You've given him everything he could possibly need. You've blessed him. Try taking away those blessings and see how long Job's worship, Job worships you for. Satan is saying that Job's faith is circumstantial. He only, he only has faith. He only loves God because God has blessed him, because God has taken care of him. Verse 12 says, the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. God is going all in on Job. He's proud of Job. He believes in Job. Job has proven himself to be a faithful man of God. The thing I want you to take away from this part of the story is that God wants to go all in on you. God wants to go all in on your life. God is looking for men and women, faithful men and women, who will carry out his commands, who will listen and follow, who will obey him. One question I just want you to think about tonight is, are you living your life in such a way that would, that would make God want to go all in on you? Would God place his bet on you? I don't say that to judge you. I just say that to make you think, can God count on you? It sounds kind of backwards, doesn't it? Aren't we supposed to count on God? Yeah, but it's a two-way street, right? Because we're down here, we're running around with free will. We can do whatever the heck we want, right? God's constant. He's, he stays the same. He's never going to change. He's faithful. He's, we're, we're, we can always count on him. Verse 12 says, the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. So Satan goes out uh, from the presence of the Lord. The first time I read this, I was like, dang, is that how things work in heaven? What the heck? Yeah, it, 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 ac it actually is. Anything, if you are in Christ, Satan cannot lay a finger on you without checking it through God first. That's given me a lot of comfort over the years, and I hope that that gives you a lot of comfort. So Satan is now going out with God's seal of approval to unleash calamity and hardships on Job. I do believe we have a show. Chapter 1, verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. And the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, this guy's not even done with his newsflash yet, another servant comes in, another messenger comes in and says, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep. You guys know what you call that, right? Bad news. Bad news. 
Another messenger came in. He was holding a, a leg of lamb. Another messenger came in and said, uh, the fire of God fell from the heavens, burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came in and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, I think three would have made it, would have made it clear that Job's life had ended. We got four, though. Another servant comes in. Your sons and your daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are all dead, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. It was probably a five-minute period. Job's entire world is turned upside down. Everything he has, everything he loves, everything he holds dear is taken away from him. I chose this story to tell you tonight because I think one of the, the biggest things they forgot to tell you in Sunday school is that life can suck. Life, life can be really hard. We, we, we try to ke- we keep it from kids as long as we can, uh, but this world is an evil place. Um, you just you can't talk to first graders about the borderline shooting. You just can't. Um, sometimes, I, and this is just me talking now, sometimes I wonder if that's really the best plan because I think we grow up, especially in the church, and, and, and we see in, in all of our illustrated Bibles, all, all the characters are, are smiling and happy. And so we kind of think that if we follow God, everything is always going to be sunshine and roses. And the truth is uh, that it's not. And maybe in your life, at some point, you've experienced, uh, you know, what Job is experiencing, where, where he was a righteous man, he, he was a good man, and yet everything he has was taken from him. And the story actually presents us with a bit of a problem, because like I said, first we learned that Job was a righteous man, he feared God, shunned evil, and then the very next thing that happens is Job's life getting completely wrecked, completely destroyed. Now, the purpose of the Bible is to help us understand ourselves, the world, and God better. So, given our setup, what we can assume about the book of Job is that it's going to answer the question of why good people suffer. Given our setup, we have, we have a, a character who's righteous, who's good, and, and calamity falls on him. And so what we, what we assume is, is that we're going to get an answer to this question of why good people suffer. Because you probably read this book and you're like, yes, I can relate to Job. Life is not fair. Now, now tell, me, tell me why that is. Tell me why life isn't fair. Because the world is pretty much caught on to this idea that life is not fair. People are, like, aware of that. Uh, but I think it's one of those questions that no one really has a good answer to. Because... You'll hear people be like, oh, like, everything's working together for good. I think some people think uh, that, that the universe or, or Mother Nature or whatever is kind of working everything together. But that doesn't really match uh, with kind of what I have seen in the world. Because this world, as you may have noticed, is a messed up place. This is, this is not a great place to hang out, if, if we're being real, right? And, you know, I, I feel like, I, you know what, speaking, speaking of, of borderline, watching the parents the day after that happened. I don't think any of them were feeling a particularly strong sense that good will always win. I don't think they were feeling that that day. And, and I don't think Job was feeling that in this story. Because um, in the darkest moments of our lives, it's really hard to find the good. And for the rest of this book, we see Job go on a roller coaster uh, of emotions. He is all over, place, all over the place. Like I said, Job was a man who trusted God. He loved God. He believed in God. It doesn't take long for that to start falling apart. Throughout the next several chapters, Job does two things. First, he cries out to God. He demands an explanation. He's like, what the heck? And the second thing he does is he, he, he seeks out the counsel of four trusted friends uh, who he hopes uh, are going to bring him some wisdom. Uh, and actually, the, the rest of the, the majority of Job, 35 chapters, is actually made up of these conversations uh, that Job is having uh, with these friends. And, and I'm not going to, we're obviously not going to read through all of it, uh, but I do want to give you uh, what some might call the gist 
Um, these men approach Job, and they're very committed to this idea uh, of God's justice. This is their worldview, that God blesses people who do good things, and God curses people who do bad things. You do something good, you, the good things will happen to you. You do something bad, bad things will happen to you. So the conclusion they make looking at Job is this. Job must have sinned. Because, because God is just. God world, runs the world according to justice. Only good things happen to good people, and bad things happen to bad people. So Job must have sinned. That's the only logical explanation. At one point, uh, one of his friends says this. Uh, this is uh, chapter 22, um, starting in verse 5. Uh, is not your wickedness great? Are not your sins endless? You demanded security from your relatives for no reason. You stripped people of their clothing, leaving them naked. You gave no water to the weary, and you withheld food from the hungry. Though you were a powerful man, owning land, an honored man living on it. And you sent widows away empty-handed and broke the strength of the fatherless. That is why there are snares all around you. Why sudden peril terrifies you, why it is so dark you cannot see, and why a flood of water covers you. Is any of that true? No, it's not. Because here's the thing. We, we heard it straight from God. Job was a righteous man. Job was a good man. They're so attached to this idea of God's justice that they just start making up sins that, that, that Job might have committed. And meanwhile, Job is just getting worse and worse and worse. You, if you, I encourage you all to, to read this book because you just see Job spiraling. I just want to read you a few of the things that he says. Uh, chapter 6, verse 2, he says, If only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the sea. No wonder my words have been impetuous. In, verse, in chapter 10, he says, Why then did you bring me out of the womb? I wish I had died before any eye saw me. If only I had never come into being or had been carried straight from the womb to the grave. Ch uh, chapter 27, As surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, the Almighty who has made my life bitter, as long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not say anything wicked, and my tongue will not utter lies. I will never admit you on the, in the right. Till I die, I will not deny my integrity. He's talking to his friends. I will maintain my innocence and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. Oh, this is how he ends his enti the entire book. Oh, that I, or not the book, his entire speech. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. You can hear it in his, in his words. Job is spiraling. Job is liter he's literally depressed. He, he is suicidal even. He's wishing that he had never been born. Job is basically saying, I, I've done nothing wrong. I'm innocent. So here's the conclusion that Job comes to by the end of these chapters. God must not be just. God must not run the world according to justice. Job may have been a righteous man, but he was not above a struggle for faith. Job was righteous, but he was not above a struggle. No one is above a struggle. If you think you're the only one who has doubts, questions, concerns about God, you can get in line right behind me. It happens sometimes. So to summarize, Job's friends have said that God is just, so you must have sinned. They're pointing their fingers at Job. And Job's over it. He's done with his friends. He's, he's come to a different conclusion. Job says, I didn't sin, so God must not be just. He must not run the world according to justice. By the end of these chapters, you're like, what the heck? You're, you're just like, is, it, 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 you get bogged down. Honestly, reading through this, you get bogged down in it. You get to this place of like, is, is God good? Is, I don't know. Is God just? Uh, God, uh, Job was wondering whether or not God was even real, if he was even there. And maybe you've gotten to a point like that in your faith, where, where your entire worldview, how you view the world, the, the rules that you live by about the world, gets broken. You get to a place where you just, you can't go on any further in your faith. Um, and nothing about this makes sense. Fortunately, uh, finally, after 37 chapters, in chapter 38, uh, 
God finally speaks. Verse 1 says, uh, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, and he said this. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning, or shown the dawn its place, that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the path to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. God goes on for a while, taking Job on a tour of the entire universe. He's showing God everything that he has made. He's reminding Job of who he is, and he's reminding Job of who Job is. What he's doing is he's reminding Job of his character, of, of who he is, of, of what he is like. And so what I want to do with the time we have left is, is remind you, I want to reintroduce you to your father. I want to remind you about some really important character traits about God that we can never forget. Uh, this series is called Stories They Didn't Tell You in Sunday School, but I actually just want to give you three simple truths that we do teach in Sunday School, but that we can never forget. The first one is this, God is bigger. God is bigger. Bigger than what? He's bigger. <laughs> when, when God asked Job who created the universe, it was a rhetorical question. It was Job's turn to sit still and listen. He was reminding Job of just how big he is. Um, I've been teaching uh, kids' ministry for six years now, uh, and the very first thing, our littlest preschoolers, and they're you know, two and three years old, uh, the very first thing we teach them is that God is big. I go, how big is God? Is he this big? And they go, no. I go, is he this big? No. And then I run around the room, is he this big? And they're like, no. I go, no, God is, God is bigger than all of that. He's bigger than your problems. Um, it's so simple, but we keep forgetting. God is bigger than your midterm. God is bigger than your relationship problems. He's bigger than your addiction. I think the reason we keep forgetting is because we can't physically see God, but we can physically see problem number 97 on our midterm. We can physically see that in front of us. I love the verse Colossians 3, 1 through 2 in the message translation. It says, if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up. Be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Now, here's the thing. We can't actually see things from his perspective, can we? 
but we need to remember, we need to always remember that he has a perspective on our problems that we don't have. He has a perspective on your relationship that you don't have, a perspective on your addiction that, that you don't have. You know, uh, I want to I wanna give you guys kind of an illustration for this. Uh, can, you, can you go to the next slide? Okay, so this is a brown square. It's a brown square. Uh, I, I'm a graphic designer. Does anybody know what this is? It's a brown square. Very good. Uh, <laughs> I'm a graphic designer. Uh, that's what I do at Rocky Peak. My official job uh, is, is I work full-time as a, uh, the graphic designer for this church. Um, and so this is just kind of one way that, that, that I picture this. Um, go ahead and go to the next slide. Uh, this is actually a pixel. Uh, all, all pictures uh, are made up, uh, if you zoom in far enough, maybe you've noticed this on your phone, all pictures are made up of pixels, these tiny little squares. And, and over the course of a picture, uh, it, it creates, you know, through gradients and, and all that kind of stuff, it, you know, you create an image if you zoom out far enough. You can't actually physically see the pixels uh, when you're looking at it at the proper resolution, we'd call it. Um, but they're there, and they're what's making up the picture. Can anyone tell what this is a picture of? No, you can't. Uh, <laughs> go, to the, go to the next picture. How about now? Go to the next one. Yeah! It's 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 Mr. Stuffy McCoy, the, uh, the 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 McCoy's dog. Here's the thing. Here's here's the the, the point I'm making. Sometimes in life you're going to be stuck looking at a brown square. You're going to be stuck looking at something that you don't understand, something that doesn't make any sense, and you're not going to be able to see the picture that it's making. But God can. God can see the overall picture. He can see what's going on in your life. He can see what He's doing in your life. He's doing something in your life. And just because this is all you can see in a particular moment doesn't mean that there's not more going on around you that you are not aware of. God has a perspective on your life that you don't have. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be your circumstance, your, your anxiety, your depression, but God can see it in a way that you don't. One thing I love about the book of Job, uh, I think one of the messages that is, that is so clear is that we can go to, to God when we have questions, when we aren't sure about our faith. God does not once reprimand Job for asking questions. Not, not once does he, does he get mad at Job for, for being unsure, for questioning things, for, for not knowing. God wants you to go to him when, when you have uh, concerns, when, when you have fears and anxieties. God sees the big picture. There's tremendous uh, comfort and freedom in that. Uh, Two weekends from now, next weekend uh, at Rocky Peak in main service, we have baptisms. The weekend after that, we're starting a new series called Seasons. Um, Dre, am I supposed to say that? Dre's teaching all three weeks. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Michael's going to be in Israel. Uh, so Dre's, Dre's teaching a three-week series uh, on, on the, I know it's so exciting. I know. <laughs> uh, and here's what I just, this is what Dre wrote. I'm just going to read, I'm just going to straight up read it to you. Uh, this is what the series is about. We all want to have a sense uh, of stability and safety in life. The problem is uh, far too often we look to our always changing circumstances to provide stability rather than our never changing God. In this series, we're going to go to the book of Psalms in the Old Testament and learn how to both encounter and trust in the never changing character, power, and presence of Jesus that is with us regardless of our circumstances. The whole point of the series is, is, is God is with you even when you don't feel like he is with you. And so God, God has a perspective on your problems. God is bigger than your problems. The second thing I want you to know is that God is forgiving. God is forgiving. You know, we all have inside of us this innate sense of right and wrong. We think that if we do good, good things are going to happen, and if we do bad, bad things are going to happen to us. And like I said before, Job's friends were working on the assumption that doing one good thing equals one good thing from God, and one bad thing equals one bad thing from God. Here's the problem with that, though. What happens when you do too many bad things? 
what happens when you, you've done far too many bad things that, that, that you could never do enough good things to ever cancel them out? Well, it already happened. 2,000 years ago, God sent his son to earth to, be, uh, to take on the punishment for us, for our sins. And you can get in line because everyone in this room, everyone around you has done far too many bad things to ever make up for them with good things. And this was, this was this view that I had of God for a really long time. From a very young age, I don't really know what causes this uh, inside of us, but we, we think that, that, that God, the, the way I describe it is that, that God was, is up in heaven with a scoreboard. And he's keeping track of all the, all the good things and all the bad things in our lives. You, do, you, 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 know, you, you hit your brother, oh, that's one bad thing. Oh, you, you, you compliment your, your mom, oh, that's one good thing. And we, we kind of think that, God's, that God has this scoreboard that he's holding and he's looking at our lives and, and he's, he's, you know, we just make, have to make sure we do enough good things to, to, to outweigh the bad things in order to get into heaven. Guys, that is really a, an exhausting way to live, trying to keep track of how many good and bad things you've done. I want to read you guys a verse. It's, it's probably the second most famous verse in all scripture. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, uh, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. The point I'm trying to make is this. God is not holding a scoreboard of your life. He's holding a game plan for your life. He has a plan for your life. He wants to do something in your life. He is excited about your life. He's given you incre- incredible uh, purpose. He's given you skills and talents and abilities that, that he wants to use to advance his kingdom. That's who you are. Every single person in this room, that's who you are sitting here right now. You, you have a purpose that God has given you. You just have to trust that he is as big as he says he is. Just because you're going through a trial doesn't mean you're being punished for something. It doesn't mean you're being punished for something. You know, there's two, there's two sides to this coin, actually, because on one hand, just because we are um, going through something because, because our life is falling apart doesn't mean we've done something wrong. I want you guys to catch this. There's another side of the coin. Just because your life is going great doesn't mean you're in good standing with God. Just because you're living a life of blessing and, and, and you have good things, you're in a great relationship, you have a great job, you're getting great grades, doesn't mean that God, I hate to say it, that God likes or, you know, is, is uh, approving of what you're doing, right? So there, there's two sides to that. And it's funny, I've actually found uh, that in the seasons, I've found that in the seasons where I have it really going for me, in, in the best seasons of life, I find it the hardest to find time to pursue God. Because here's the thing, I feel like I don't need him. I feel like I, I, I'm doing great. Why would, I, why would I need to go to God? The truth is that, that, that what is happening around you, your circumstances, have nothing to do with whether or not you are in good standing with God. I just want to make that clear. It's, it's, it's not, it's not the, the right gauge. Pastor Michael says something uh, very often. He says that God has an epic vision for your life. God has big plans for your life. All you have to do is trust him. And why should you trust him? Well, like I said before, he's bigger. He has a perspective on on you that you don't have. The other reason uh, that you can trust God uh, leads me to my last point. Uh, The last chapter of Job says this, The Lord restored Job's fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man and full of years. The final thing I want you to take away from Job's story uh, is this. God is good. God is good. Simple, isn't it? It's profound, though. Uh, I want to invite the band up. 
Just because you don't see God's goodness in your life doesn't mean that he's not still good. Job did not see a lot of goodness around him. But that doesn't mean that God wasn't still there. I wanted to share a story from my life before we finish up. In high school and college, I suffered from chronic migraines. Every two weeks. I never knew when one was coming on. It could come on at any time. There was different causes that I could kind of try to make it, to keep them away, but th- the reality was that th- these could just hit me, and when they did, I was out for two days. They, these things were awful, and all I could really do was just lay and wait for the pain to go away. Just lay on my bed and just just sit through it, just sit in it, and just wait. And I couldn't get this scoreboard thing out of my head. I thought that I was being punished for something. I thought that I had done something to offend God, to make God mad. I thought I had done something wrong. I thought he was punishing me for something. And so for years this went on. Finally, a good friend of mine told me something that changed my life. He said, maybe, maybe God's just trying to teach you to worship through the pain. And so the next time I had a migraine, I, I did just that. I put on worship music, and I, I just worshiped. And I just said, God, you are good. Craziest thing ever. That was the last migraine I ever had. God wants to do something in your life, and and your life is not always going to be sunshine and roses, but that doesn't change the fact that God is good. I want to take you back to the very first chapter of Job to show you something, uh, the very first thing that he does when he, he gets the news that everything he had was lost. It says he got up, he tore his robe, and shaved his head. Those were signs for mourning in that time, and he fell to the ground in worship. He says, God, you are good. He worshiped God. Do you think he felt like it? I don't think so. It's going to be times when you don't feel like worshiping, but it always has to be our first defense. We always have to start with worship. We have a chance right now to, to put this truth into action with this last song. We're going to sing about God's goodness. We're going to sing that he is good. Here's the thing. Sometimes we sing things because we're sure. Sometimes we sing things until we're sure, until we know in our hearts that it's true. You're not always going to feel like it's true, the things that you're saying, the things that you're declaring, but they are. We need to declare God's goodness in this place. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are good. I thank you that we can rely on you. I thank you that in our darkest times, in our darkest moments, that you are good, God, that your goodness is constant, that it's steadfast, that we can rely on it, that it is always there for us, that that we can always run back to you, God. Thank you that your goodness is so consistent in our lives. Thank you for guiding us. Thank you for being such a big God who can see things that we can't see. I pray Uh, for your students, that they would trust you in the hard seasons, God, in the times when they don't see you. In the moments when you feel far away, I pray that they would remember that you are not. God, I thank you for your goodness. I pray that in this room, during this time of worship, that students would experience your goodness in their lives in real and powerful ways, God. We love you, and I thank you for this time together. I pray all this in your name. Amen. You guys can go ahead and stand and we'll worship together.